Welcome to Bible Study. This is Len, your host for today, and we really hope you enjoy this study as we look into the Word of God. Now, as I introduce our panel today, they're going to share a little bit of something about themselves. So our first panel member is Joe. Yes, I really enjoy gardening. I might have mentioned it um, last time, but I really thrive on being in nature and gardening and um, being out in the outdoors. Thank you, Joe. And we also have Ken. Hello, listeners. Great to be here again today. A little bit about myself. It's hard to, to keep that short, but I'll do my best. Uh, I'm from Bangor in County Down in Northern Ireland. I've been here over 40 years, and it's a fantastic country. My only regret is I didn't get here sooner, but I didn't know about it. So it's really wonderful to be here today. Thank you, Ken. And we also have Helen. Well, yes. Thank you, Lynn. I uh, am not in competition with you, Ken, but I was born in Bonnie, Scotland, and uh, came out many years ago as well. You'll hear that I am actually speaking as an Australian because I used to stand in front of a mirror and just keep practicing to talk like an Aussie because I was bullied at school. So I just like to say good day, mate, to all of our listeners. Okay, thank you, Helen. And of course, we have Brenton, who's going to be our facilitator today, but Brenton's also going to tell you something about himself. Yes, just very briefly, Len, uh, for the benefit of the listeners, up until 2010, I was a public servant and uh, my job involved uh, buying people's properties to build roads and um, highways. Uh, since 2010, I have been in the ministry as the Seventh-day Adventist minister and uh, I believe this is a, a calling, not a job, and um, I'm really excited about the opportunities God presents to us day by day. Thank you, Brenton, and I'll hand over to you in a moment, but you're probably wondering if the host today is going to tell something about himself. <laughs> yes, I'm married to my first wife, and we've been married for more than half a century, and there's a lot more to say, but nevertheless, you don't want to hear about us, you want to hear about the Word of God today. So, Brenton, as the facilitator for today's study, it's now over to you. Thank you, Len. Uh, today's study is entitled Covenant Law. Uh, during the last few uh, Bible studies that we've had on air, uh, we've studied various aspects, going right back to the time of Abram. But before I give just a brief overview of that, I'm going to invite Ken, if he would be willing to open our Bible study together with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for bringing us together again this day to put forward your words. Lord God, your words are so important to each and every one of us. They're not only inspiring, but they give life for all those that would listen and obey them. Heavenly Father, there are so many people today in the world are struggling with so many things. They don't realize, Lord God, that you have the answers to all the problems, and only you through Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that these people would listen carefully to the words given, look deeply into them, think about them, dwell on them, and pray to Jesus that through his mighty name, Lord God, not only can their burdens be relieved, but they have the opportunity, Lord God, of everlasting life. We ask this, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm. Thank you, Ken. 
As I said earlier, thus far we've studied in the Bible studies um, the topic of God's covenant when it was given back in Abram's time. You might remember, and for those who don't, so I'll refresh you just briefly. Um, in Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3, God called Abram to come out of Ur of, of the Chaldees. He called him to go to a country that he would show him. He said that he would make him uh, his name great and that as a result of Abram's seed, all nations, all peoples of the earth would be blessed. Now, when you look at Genesis 12, 1 to 3, you'll note that it was all God's doing. It wasn't anything there that Abram had to do other than be obedient to go when God said go, leave her and go to a place that I will show you. So we've learned, moving on from there, that when we got to Sinai, we have um, Israel wholeheartedly promising to keep um, be God's special people. In Exodus 19, verse 6, God said he wanted to make them his special people. They were to be a kingdom or a, a, a nation of priests and also that they were to be his special people in a special sense. And they responded by saying all that the Lord has said we will do in Exodus 19, verse 8. We all know, looking back through our filters in 2021, that they unfortunately failed. And we've got an opportunity, I believe, today in 2021 to look at what happened. Why, why did it go wrong for them? And are we any different today? Are there things that we need to um, look at today? So our study today will focus on God's law and its application in the covenant relationship with Israel, but particularly the Israel and the spirit, which we believe that we are today. We're going to start by looking at why did God choose Israel? We do know <clears throat> that they were not the most numerous of all the people, but Helen, I wondered if you could share with us Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 to 9, and I'm very happy for you to comment on it to, um, as a result of uh, reading those three particular verses. There are some key things that will impact our study today in these uh, texts. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, Brenton. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Deuteronomy chapter 7, 7 to 9. It says here, The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you, and he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Well, it is interesting to note in this verse, and I, it jumped out for me, the main reason, of course, was he says the Lord loves you. He chose them. It wasn't a matter of Israel's merit, and uh, but God was keeping his promise to their ancestors, just as God chose the nation of Israel. He's chosen all believers today to be a part of his treasured possession. Similarly, it's not because of of our merit that we have come to faith in Christ. Instead, God chooses out of his goodness and his grace. It is out of love, not for any other reason. But the question I'd like to ask is, does this mean he didn't love the other nations? Joe? Well, I've got a, a verse for this, and it's in Genesis 15. Um, I might read 14 to 16. It says, and also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterward. The context of this was God made another 
a covenant with uh, and reassured Abram about his posterity and the greatness of his future and his um, children to come. And it says, and also the nation whom I sh- whom they serve, I will judge afterward. They shall come out with great possessions. We know that refers to Egypt. Yeah. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God is he's giving time. He's giving these <laughs> pagan nations time to repent, time to reflect and uh, change their ways. We know that wherever Abraham went, he set up altars and he was a living testament yes. to, to the nations around of, you know, the right way to do things, the right way to live, to be honourable and faithful to God, to the only true God, not the pagan deities that they had set up for themselves. So here we have that even God, you know, we might think, oh, he's chosen his people, he's rejected the rest, but God is patient. Even with all the others, he loves them too and he's patient and waiting for them, waiting that they may, by perchance, turn to him. Joe, I think that um, both yours and Helen's comments are very, very true to the point because I see in here 400 years, 400 more years of probation for these heathen nations you pointed out quite rightly that God um, where said to Abraham to go. Wherever Abraham went, he set up altars of worship. Therefore, there was many opportunities for the nations around him to get to know God. But, uh, Len, I believe you had a comment that you wanted to share with us. Okay, well, this is on, this, on the same theme. There's something additional here. Yeah, happy to hear it. And... <laughs> Like um, Brenton just said, I'm reading from Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, where God says, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then he says, uh, to Moses, you've got to speak what I've just said to the whole assembly of the Israelites. So some people might say, well, is God being a little bit arbitrary here to choose this particular group of people? Does he um, choose anybody in this day and age? Well, if you read the book of Romans, it talks about those whom God predestined. And you know who he predestined? Everybody. Every single person. Yes. But of course, not every person will uh, take up God's offer of grace. But here he said, I've chosen you, but there's something you must do, and that is to obey me fully and keep my covenant. And if you continue to do that, you will be my treasured people. Unfortunately, uh, they didn't do it very well. They they were hot and cold and uh, in their fervour for the Lord. But at least in the beginning, they promised to obey. And I think some of them forgot their promises pretty soon. There's a lot more I could say about this. But um, I guess some people think, Well, all right, God chose them to be a holy nation. But that's back then. Does that apply anymore? Well, I believe it does. 
It applies in this sense with that very first bit where it says, if you obey me fully, uh, keep my covenant. So God's special people these days are those who obey him and keep his covenant. Yeah, Ken's got something further to add to that. But before we get to you, Ken, Helen had something to comment, and I believe, Joe, you had a comment. Thank you, Brenton. Uh, just thinking about the election of Israel, which is what we're talking about, yes, yes, um, as we mentioned, it came down from the Abrahamic lineage. But ancient Israel sprang from divine providence in order to sprinkle its God-ordained witness to surrounding nations. And there is a connection between Israel's election and God's um, merits. And I'd just like to share it with you. Sure. In the giving of the law is as much an act of grace as God's gift of election. The giving of the law is as much an act of mercy as the deliverance from Egyptian slavery. The gift of the law <clears throat> is as much an act of God's love as the making of the covenant to which the law belongs. The law thus becomes an instrument defining all relationships within the covenant and the covenant community. I think that's pretty important, Helen. Um, Ken, I wonder if you can share with us First Peter 2.9. What we're doing here is we're comparing what Len read in Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6, which is obviously Old Testament. And now we're having a look at the New Testament to see whether similar terminology is used. And if so, are there additional responsibilities that God maybe has given to his people in these days, which we believe are the last days of Earth's history. Thanks, Ken. Okay, I'm reading from King James Version, and we're on First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Yeah, thank you. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, holy nation, your people, that you should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Now, I'm going to make some comments on this one. And that is that we, now it's it's interesting that this is in the New Testament, but as you mentioned a moment ago, it was also in the Old Testament in Exodus 19 and 6. So here we have this message being repeated for our generation, and it says we are a chosen people. Now, we did not fall into the throne, rather we were picked by God, a holy nation set aside from the world, a peculiar people. Now, the Cambridge Dictionary explains the term as unusual and strange. We then read we should show his praises. In other words, we do not hide what we do, and of course we have been taken out of darkness. In other words, God has shown us all things pertaining to knowledge about him and everlasting life. Now this knowledge, of course, isn't to be kept to ourselves. We are to live out the image of God on the earth as true Christians and we are to share this knowledge with all people. God has a plan in place, and that plan has an ending and a new beginning. Now, we're approaching that ending very, very soon. All the signs in the world are around us. So it's more important than ever, as true Christians, we are to live and share the character of God, put forward the character of God, praise God openly, and don't be hiding anywhere. And more importantly, we should stick to exactly the words of the Bible and not our own interpretations because so many yeah. church today and people are telling things that they've come up with themselves and they're not explaining the really, really important things as pertain yeah. to everlasting life. 
Ken, I believe you've touched on some very, very important points there. Joe, you had something to share with us. Yes, in, in view of these comments and these texts about the, the chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, I'd like to link that with some of the texts that Len ran, read earlier. Yes. And it says, now if you obey me fully. Now, I know Len touched on that. If you obey me fully. Now, this is not a half-hearted approach to serving God, is it? It's not like, you know, he says, oh, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you are neither, you're lukewarm, what happens to that <laughs> mouthful? It gets spat out. Yeah. You're, you're insipid. And so he's saying in Exodus, but he's also saying this to us in the New Testament, I want you to obey me fully. I want you to be true. I want you to be fair dinkum about this. Yes. And not don't, don't try and um, pull the wool over my eyes, you know, pretend, be great at church, do all the good things outwardly, but inside your heart is far from me. Um, so I guess it's a, a key message for us today that um, be warned lest we fall into that trap too. Joe, that's actually very, very important. It's easy to go through the motions, isn't it? I, I guess we could add before we get to Helen, Helen's going to share with us, do we have further responsibilities as God's people today to share with the world? One of the things that I think that's important is that God said, when Jesus was here on earth, he said, unless you're willing to give up, give up everything, you can't be my disciple. And then he was quite specific. He said, mother, father, husband, wife, son, daughter. He said, you have to put me first and foremost in everything that you do. I believe holiness is directly related to consecration. To the degree that we are consecrated, I believe that we are holy. And I believe the only holiness that God accepts is holiness where we are fully consecrated and fully surrendered to him. But Helen, just moving on from Exodus 19, 5 and 6 and 1 Peter 2, 9, it's specified very clearly what the responsibilities are there and what God wants of his people. Is there anything today in 2021 that as Christians we should be calling people back to? In other words, if you are elected, obviously there are responsibilities that come with that election. What are those responsibilities that God has entrusted to us today? Well, I believe we can see that very clearly in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and in chapter 14, verses 6, uh, actually right through 6 to 12. But I would particularly like to um, just share with you 6 sure. and 7, if I may. Yes. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And it says here, And I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Just let me stop for a moment before I read verse 7, if I may. We sure. look at these angels as being messengers, and I believe we are messengers. We are all called to carry the eternal good news um, to proclaim to the people, to all the people of the world, yeah. Brenton, not just one or two. And, yeah. and verse 7 says, fear God. In other words, reverence him. He feared God, he shouted, give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. There are several points in this verse. You know, number one, we are told to give glory to him. 
And it tells us why the hour of his judgment has come. But it does specifically say at the end there, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. How many people today do not believe in the creation story? That's a good point. I'm just astounded at the amount of people that do not worship God as the creator. And by keeping the Sabbath law, we are showing our allegiance to him. We are giving glory to him by by doing that. You know, some people believe that this that I've just read out is a final worldwide appeal to all people to recognize the one true God. And we would agree with that, would we not? Yes. Yeah. But, you know, no one will excuse, will have an excuse of never hearing God's truth. But others look at this wholly and solely as an announcement of judgment and they actually fear, you know, the people of the world have a chance to proclaim their allegiance to God and now God's great judgment is about to begin. And we are not to fear God. Mm. You know, if we have received the everlasting good news and confessed our sins and trusted in Christ, we have nothing to fear of God's judgment. He is the judge of all the earth. He is our saviour. And more importantly, it is important that we stand up and be counted, especially on worship. We need to worship God. The worship starts with the letter W. And for me, that means holy, holy. Give our all to him. Worship him. And um, I I believe that's our responsibility to share that with all the people around. And does God have a people today? Well, perhaps, panel, you can share that. Does God have a people today to share this message of worship? Thank you, Helen. That's the challenge. Ken, are you responding to that? I think there's a a number of really important points come up here, but one in particular jumps out at me, and this is, as Helen mentioned, worship. Uh, Unfortunately, today, the majority of the world is worshipping not on God's day, but on Satan's day. And I think it's very important for them to check out the Bible and find out the truth that the real worship day for God is actually Saturday. Okay. Um, any other thoughts on that before we move on? Can I just say this? For any of our listeners, if you are wanting to find God's true people, can I suggest that you look for two things? Can you uh, look for a church that worships on the day that God has set aside? And can you also look for a church who believes in God as their creator? Because it's rather difficult to worship God if you don't believe God is is your creator. I believe that they're the two aspects that do you believe that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day? And if you can find a group of people who believe that and also worship him on the seventh day, I believe you found home. You found the place where God would have you to be. All right, we're moving on. Uh, Joe, we have an interesting comment in Deuteronomy 4.13, and I'm very happy for you to read it and share it with us because it's got some pretty strong words in it, and I'd like you to flesh it out a little bit for us. Thanks. Yes, Brenton. I love the comments that have just come through, and I guess we may be challenged. We may be challenged on, like, well, why, why do we need to keep the, you know, God's commandments? Why do we need to keep his day of worship? And what do we have to stand on? We can't just say, well, it fits into my lifestyle schedule, uh, fits in with my work plans, with my family life, or is it because 
this is what I feel is right. You know, a lot of people go by how they feel or I feel impressed or this or that. But, you know, we have strong language in Deuteronomy chapter 4, and I'll just look it up. And it says here, as this is the context of this is when God spoke to them. In verse 11, it says, You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens. It's almost like volcanic with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant and the Ten Commandments which he commanded you to follow and then wrote them on two tables of stone. So we have um, he declared, he commanded you to keep or to follow. So these are really real strong action words, aren't they? So when people say, oh, you know, it's no longer valid, it's uh, we're living in the 21st century under the new covenant, um, you are legalists, this or that, it, you know, we're not bound by this, it's only for the Jews. We have strong language both in the New Testament and Old Testament that God has commanded, he has declared, and he has He has urged us to keep. And, of course, in, even in Revelation, as Helen has read, so it uh, behoves us to pay attention to what God declares to be important. I believe, Joe, that is very important. Len had a, a comment and also Ken. I think there's a tendency in our times not to keep the commandments because people regard it as their duty or their privilege or to honour God, but they don't keep the commandments because it's not comfortable. And I think these people have missed the boat. It wasn't comfortable for God to do a lot of the things that he did, especially when Jesus gave up all the uh, wonders of heaven and came to this dismal earth to die for sinners, it wasn't comfortable for him. And no. so I think we have to recognise that when we accept the um, salvation that God offers, we have a duty to perform as well in yeah. response to what God did for us. So, Len, what you're saying really in summary is that the obedience aspect has to be totally based on love, not on compliance. Yes, it's out of appreciation uh, uh, and recognising God has loved us. Okay. Ken, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I just wanted to expand on that a little bit further. Yes, these are strong words. God did not want any misunderstandings (laughs) when he spoke to the people, even giving Moses handwritten instructions how to live. He made it very clear what was required of them, not because he is a tarrant, but rather a God who loves his creation people and wants the best for them. He wants them to show his loving character to others. Many people think the Ten Commandments were done away with when Jesus came, but again, Jesus told all to keep the commandments as they are for our good. I just think what a beautiful world this would be if everyone even just kept the second commandment, love your neighbour as yourself. Very good point, Ken. Yeah. Joe, did you have further comments? I, I just like to add to what Ken's just said. There was a statement that William Barclay said. He said that to be truly religious is to love God and to love the ones whom God made in his own image. This love is not some vague, nebulous sentimentality, but a full commitment to God that issues forth from the heart in practical service toward our fellow humans 
to me that comes back to the law when it's a law of love that God has given you know the first four love for God the letter L comes down from God to us and then it flows out to the people around us it is about a loving God who chose to give us these commandments for our benefit and for the benefit of the community around us. God is love indeed. Um, Helen, that's very, very true. But do we as a whole need to reorientate our thinking? Um, As we stated earlier on, or somebody stated, many people see the Ten Commandments today, um, keeping the Ten Commandments Immediately, they think of the word obey, obey the Ten Commandments, obey God's law, compliance. They immediately think compliance. I think they're selling very short exactly what God's purpose is, because if we see the law as being a law of love, compliance is not going to do it, not by any shape or form. I think this is where Israel fell down. They were into the compliance mode rather than into the love relationship mode. I see this word obey when God says, I want you to obey me. I think really what he means is I want you to give me your heart because you can't obey. I will have to work through you in order for you to be obedient to my requirements. Until we recognize that, um, we're going to be stuck in this area of compliance and trying by our own strength to keep the law, which just in the end becomes completely fruitless. And for any listeners who may be thinking, it can become disheartening because you recognise that you continually fall short. Any other thoughts on that? On that, before we move on to, I want to go back to Deuteronomy four thirteen, which Joe just read a little while ago. Yes, it says he declared unto you his covenant, and then in the NIV it adds what the covenant was: the Ten Commandments. Yes. So we've been talking about the covenant which is basically the Ten Commandments. That covenant still stands. We'll be talking later on about the New Covenant, and there it mentions the law again. But I want to go over to Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13, and here is an an announcement to the Israelites by God. It says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. Ah. Mm. We've been talking mainly about the Ten Commandments, but you know God gave this group of people some other laws to observe. And what was the reason? For your own good. Now, the Israelites practiced dietary laws. God named certain animals which should not be eaten and described them as unclean. And you can read that is Leviticus chapter 11, I think. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Uh, We've got the dietary laws. You can eat this, but those things avoid. Now, it's been discovered that some of these creatures that God said don't eat them actually can pass on disease. Others pass on heavy metals and poisons. 
and this is not um, unknown in just the general community. He gave laws about cleanliness. Now, I remember studying uh, English history and about deaths under operations where surgeons never cleaned their instruments that they operated with, about infections, how infections spread so much. God gave laws regarding infectious diseases. He gave laws about relationships and sexual relationships in particular. Yes. He said, if you do this, then there will be uh, detrimental effects. So God not just gave the Ten Commandments for the people's own benefits, but he gave these other things too. And you know what? While they followed those laws, they remained healthy. God's plan for everybody is that we be healthy, happy, and holy. And by observing God's commands, we can have all those things. Thank you, uh, Len. Would you say then that God's plan for his people was a, a term that we hear a lot today, a holistic lifestyle, spelled W-H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C? Yes, it was a lifestyle that covered physical, emotional, social, psychological, and every type of health you can think of. And um, because God knows what he's doing, he doesn't impose stupid things on us. And even the Ten Commandments, we've mentioned this before, are for our own good. Yeah, they are indeed. Helen, I believe you had something to share with us. Yes, I was interested in that text that Len read out in Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. And often we do ask, and Micah also says it's almost exactly the same words, but often we ask, what does God expect of us here? And when I looked at that verse and I thought, well, here Moses is giving us a summary in a very simple form and easy to remember. But I loved the sequence and that's what hit me. When, you know, we think, how can we and all the rest of it? But the essentials were, number one, fear God, have reverence for him. That's the first one. And we need to follow through in sequence. The next one says, live in a way that pleases him, which we can do if we fear God and have reverence for him. The third one says to love him. The fourth one says to serve him with all your heart and soul. And it's the fifth one that then says obey his commandments. You know, if you follow through the first four before that, obeying the commandments isn't a works. Um, Oriented thing, is it? Yes, it's no. not. It's it's It will come yeah. automatically. And I, I just think sometimes we make it very complicated, you know, faith with man-made rules, regulations and requirements. You know, some people are really frustrated and burned out trying to please God. I hear it many times in, in my walk. I hear people, even just this morning, I heard a lass say, I'm trying, I'm trying, you know. Well, isn't, isn't, it, um, isn't it a tragedy that so often our human psyche is geared towards performance rather yes. than towards surrender? Len, you had a comment to add to this too. Well, those of us who've had children would know that when our children are young, and we say to them, don't go there or don't touch that. We do it for their good, 
But the children see it as a command and they obey on that basis because they know their parent loves them and they simply obey. When they get older and are able to reason and if they're told don't go there or don't do this, they can see the reason behind it. Now, I feel there are a lot of people, including religious people these days, who regard God's commandments as a burden rather than than an expression of love. Yes. And so for one reason or another, they want to remove the Mm. commandments. But you know, the commandments have never been removed. I refer to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19, where the Apostle Paul says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. To obey God's commands is what counts. And then we go over to the book of 1 John, chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, and verse 3 says, this is love for God, that we obey his commands. So those two texts for me say God's commandments have never been removed. They're still there. It's just that people regard them as an imposition rather than a privilege. Yeah, Ken, did you have something to share with us? I just wanted to add, just uh, follow up what Ben was saying. Uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, 23rd, I believe it is, chapter 12, it's an important message worth noting. It says, here is the patience of the saints, i.e. Christians, those that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, this is the very last book in uh, the very last book, uh, Re- Revelation in the Bible, and it's telling basically the very, very end story of when Jesus comes back. And it clearly states that we are to keep the commandments of God along with the faith of Jesus. Coming back to, you know, when Len said, you know, as a parent, you tell a child, don't put your hand on the stove, don't run out on the road. You know, there was a study done um, on um, young people, children, particularly little ones, as to what they actually hear. And they don't hear the word don't. It's like if you start the, the sentence with the word don't, it's like it's it's taking a bit of time for them to get that and they hear, touch the stove, go out on the road. Now, it's interesting that study that was done because when I thought about that, God tells us not just once when it's something important, he normally repeats it at least three times, yes. you know, yes. and, and sort of trying to get it through. So maybe, you know, a little hint for parents, maybe if you're going to say don't run out on the road, reiterate it by saying it is not good, don't run out on the road. Put something before that don't so they get it. That's a good and point. God did that. God did that. He put his love before he gave us the law. Yeah. He did exactly the same. Yeah. We've all touched on so far um, an important aspect of the law. I see the law in terms um, of protection. I think all of us know the story of, um, well, I'm not going to tell you the full story, but they were having a problem at a certain village uh, where people were falling over the cliff and getting killed. And there was a great deal of discussion as to what they should do about it. And one group suggested it would be a good idea to have an ambulance at the bottom but really the solution was to put a fence around the top to Amen. stop people from going over the edge. 
God's law, I believe, is offence. It's offensive protection, but it's also offence that is designed to help us to live a better life. Now, most people do not see the Ten Commandments in terms of increasing or enhancing their quality of life. I believe that if we really understood the commandments, as David mentioned in Psalm 119, verse 35, I believe we would realise that God's laws are not only for our best good, but they're going to enhance our life beyond anything that um, we could possibly imagine. So rather than looking at it again as compliance, let's look upon it as promise, opportunity, and say, Lord, we can't obey, but we do want you to live your life out in us. Just briefly, just briefly during the history of Israel, we found one moment, well, there are others, but this is the, the key one that Ken is going to share with us in First Kings, Kings 10, 8 or 9, where I believe for a brief time, it's called the Golden Age of Israel. And it was during the time of Solomon. Ken, I wonder if you would share First Kings 10, 8 and 9 with us. And then Helen is going to read us a comment which will summarise what we've discussed on this question thus far. Thanks, Ken. Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee, to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he thee king to judgment and justice. Thank you, Ken. Do you have any comments on this? Well, I, again, it's laying things out fairly clearly, I believe, if, as you read this, that, again, if we follow God's ways, that mankind is going to be blessed and looked after. I think that, that sort of sums it up very simply, I believe. No, no, that's a, that's a good summary. Anybody else? Anyone else got a comment on that? Before uh, Helen reads to us some... Um, a comment uh, that I think is a pretty important comment. Isn't it sad that Israel didn't keep this going? Remember when Solomon asked God, God said to him, give him I'll give you anything you ask for. Now, I don't think any of us here on the panel have ever had God come to us in a vision, a dream or at night and say, I'm going to give you whatever you ask for. Just ask me for it and I'll give it to you. Solomon's answer was, I need to be able to discern between good and evil. I need to be able to judge your people because I'm like a child. In other words, he understood his inability to fulfill what God asked him to do, but he believed that God could give it to him. Joe, you had a comment for us. I'm going to have to disagree with you, Brenton. I That's think okay. God does. <laughs> That's fine. God does, God does ask us. Um, he says, if any lack wisdom in James, if anyone lack wisdom, let him ask for it yes. and he'll give it yes. to you liberally. So I guess in a sense, yes, I know what you mean. Mm. Um, mm. You know, we haven't had this amazing dream because we're not kings of a country or an official of some capacity. But, you know, every one of us is invited to come to God and request wisdom because, hey, we all need it. Yes, yeah, we do. And I don't disagree with you, Joe. I should have explained myself a bit more clearly. Okay, thank you, Helen. I'm going to actually challenge Joe now. Um, <laughs> you said, you know, we haven't had these because, you know, we're not kings and what have you. God can speak to anyone at any time, anywhere. Yes. And I think we need to remember that, you know, yes. he speaks to the foolish of this world, 
um it says in in scripture as well you know so he can speak sorry joe he can speak Great to points. <laughs> all of us now i'd also like to mention too that what ken said he read out he said god would love the nation of israel forever that reminded me of a text in romans where it says nothing shall separate us from the love of god and to me, that was clarified in that text that he read. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And, you know, we, as we say that our sin separates us. He doesn't like our sin, but he still loves us. I have this comment I would like to read out regarding oh, what we've you. been talking, if mm-hmm. I may. Yes. And it says here, the part played by the law within the living reality of the covenant relationship showed that Israel could not follow the ways of other nations. They could not live by natural law, human needs, desires, or even social, political, and economic necessities alone. They could continue as God's holy nation, priestly kingdom, and special treasure only through uncompromising obedience to the revealed will of the covenant-making God in all areas of life. Now, it's not saying here that um, they cannot keep it at, lo- at all, but we can't keep it by ourselves. We can't keep it by the, the natural laws or the human desires or, you know, even just um, saying, well, I'm a good Christian. I go to church every week. I pay my tithes. I, I read the Bible and that. No, none of those. And I like the word here, it says, only through uncompromising obedience to the revealed will of the covenant-making God in all areas of life. The only way that we can do that is by going back to the start of those Ten Commandments, the first four. If we follow those first four, the next six will fall in line, you know, and it is uncompromising. God doesn't say here, if at the beginning of every commandment. He doesn't do that in the Ten Commandments. Have you noticed that, Brendan? Yes, yes, I have. He does say to the children of Israel many times, if you will do this, if you will obey, da-da-da, you know, I'll do this. But when it comes to the Ten Commandments, his love shines through, and he put that together for our needs. He said, love the Lord with all your heart. Yes. And, of course, Jesus exemplified that as well. Mm-hmm. And if we do that, then the Lord doesn't save us. Let me just clarify that. The Lord does not save us. No, it can't. It's only Jesus dying on that cross that gives us mm-hmm. salvation. Yes. But he also gives us the power to keep the law uncompromisingly. That's where the um, obedience and the surrender comes in. Yes. Len, you had a comment before we move on. Yes, Helen said something like this, referring to the Israelites. They could not live by natural law, human needs, desires, or even social, political, and economic necessities alone. Some people think that Christian life is a very restrictive life. But, you know, I think it's just the opposite. I think as Christians, as we uh, have God in our lives, Our lives are richer and more abundant than just living for self and self alone. Yes. So uh, this this ties in very nicely with what's just been said. Christians, if they live in the way that God has outlined, we live a much more abundant life. We we don't have all those 
uh, things that worry us all the time because we have our God who's there. He helps us, and and that's beautiful to yeah. be able to go to bed at night and go to sleep and rather than worrying about all the things that might make people fearful. That's a, that's a good uh, point, Ken. Um, Joe, I wonder if you'd share Amos 3.3 with us and, and just comment on it briefly, and then I'm going to get, get Ken to read um, Philippians 2.12 because um, based on um, what we've done so far, we definitely need to look at what Philippians 2.12 tells us. But first of all, can you share with us your understanding of what Hosea is saying in this text, Amos rather? Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? And to me, this has a a very strong overtone of a communion, um, a fellowship with God. And we cannot attain to this if we aren't in a communion with Christ because we cannot command. Like if I refer to uh, the previous comments for all the text that Lynn read read in Deuteronomy 10 13 you know what does the Lord require of thee and it's to walk and to love him and to serve him so you can't command love can you no no you can't Joe you can easily you can easily incite fear that's that that can that happens very easily but you can't command love it's a a, it's a reciprocal it's an emotion that is um, evoked through knowing someone and understanding them and coming to love them. It's a, a time, it, it requires time, doesn't it? It's it takes together. development, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And so here in Amos 3 3, it says, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Often we refer, you know, we can say, Well, that's in marriage, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. if they don't agree, there'll be arguments. And yeah. so I, I just say that perhaps what this means to me, it teaches that unless we are agreed, agreed in Christ, we cannot have true communion with him. Yeah, that's a very good point, Joe. You know, this this even has overtures. Um, Those of us who were married will remember that most of us who had traditional vows will remember that we promise to love, honour and cherish until death us do part. And uh, I see a certain uh, similarity here. But, Ken, if the Lord can't save us, and Helen has touched on that, and it, but it was still part of the covenant. How can the law be kept? I believe there is an answer in Philippians 2, verse 12. I'd like you to read that one for us and maybe just briefly comment on it if you wouldn't mind. Thanks. Yes. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, of course, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he knows that he will be leaving in the not too distant future. And he's explaining to them that there's different things they have to keep here. And of course, being around Jesus, I'm sure that probably most of the time they were keeping the commandments. But obviously, when he was going to leave, it's going to be maybe a little bit more difficult for them to do so. So, they had to think about things and to work on themselves and work on their salvation, which was given to them. But it's got down there with fear and trembling, but I think it means with fear and understanding and really thinking deeply about it. I think it's respect. The word for fear, another word for fear here 
is not abject terror, it's uh, respect or reverence. And um, the word work out is the Greek word katagosomai, which simply means to carry out to completion. Joe, you had a comment for us. I'd like to link that to Philippians 1.6. Okay. One sheds light on the other, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So here we have that, you know, that shedding of light on the katagazamai. I'm not probably saying it correctly. Okay. Is to carry, out, carry it out to completion is that he's begun it, he's doing it, and he will finish the work. Don't worry. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Len, can you just share with us uh, uh, briefly in um, what did God say about Abraham in uh, Genesis 18 and verse 19? God says, for I've chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Now, it's all very well talking about Abraham. The same applies to people these days, that we are to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, and that's what we've been talking about here today. Well, I wondered if you could share with us a statement that we will use in closing our study for today. Then I just want to offer a, a comment, more of a challenge, I guess, than anything else. But if you'd just uh, share this comment with us, thanks, Ellen. Okay. There must, as I've been saying along the way, there must first be love in the heart before a person can, in the strength and by the grace of Christ, begin to observe the precepts of God's law. So here we're very clear. It must first be love. Obedience without love is as impossible as it is worthless. But where love is present, a person will automatically set out to order his life in harmony with the will of God as expressed in his commandments. Great statement, isn't it, Helen? Fantastic. Mm. Mm. Obedience without love is as impossible as it is worthless. I did find that interesting. I should have underlined it. (laughs) It's a very, very true statement. Well, I guess the challenge as we bring our study time to a conclusion is this. Should we consider obedience to God's law as the promise of his grace enabling us rather than as mere compliance, which the Pharisees and many modern-day Pharisees see the law as merely a collection of do's and don'ts? What a difference a deeper view of God's law would make in our own individual lives and our churches, I added that, and our churches, if we viewed God's requirement of obedience as full surrender to him. And Joe then touches on what you read, uh, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling in the text that you read earlier in Philippians, because it demonstrates a deep respect for God's ability to complete the work he has begun in you. I think if we want to finish our study for the the positive note is this. Paul is telling the Philippian believers simply this. He says, the work that God has begun in you, he is able to carry out to completion, but he will not do that unless you allow him to do it. So our role, I believe, is to surrender our hearts and our lives to him each day and say, Lord, every time I look at the law, I realize I can't keep it. 
But I do know that if I surrender my heart and my life to you, Jesus, who kept the law perfectly, will live his life out in us. That will have two effects. Number one, it will strongly confirm our faith in God and his ability to protect us. But I believe, number two, it will be as a light in a very dark community in which we live in 2021. And I really think that uh, the challenge and the takeaway for today is God is willing to do it. Are you willing to allow him your heart? Are you willing to allow him your mind? Are you willing to give everything to him so that he is able to carry out what he has started? He wants to finish the process, and it's up to you as to whether he's allowed to do that. Thank you very much for your time with us today. And I wonder if we could close with prayer. Joe, would you like to pray for us in closing our study? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the promises in your word. We thank you for the love, the love that you have for each one of us, no matter where we've come from, what we have experienced, what we have done. We pray, Lord, that you will continue to lead us and guide us, help us yeah. to get to know you, help us to make time each day to to spend time with you, to develop that communion, that relationship, that, you know, we can walk together and be agreed. Heavenly Father, help us to put aside all the things that separate us from you and help us to walk ever closer. Forgive us for our half-heartedness and our, when we, when we trip up and, and um, don't live this the way that we ought. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll be with us, be with Everyone who might be listening, we're all in the same boat, Lord. So we pray that you'll be our guide and send your Holy Spirit to renew us and refresh us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, panel, and thank you, listeners, for joining us today. I wonder if you could put this whole uh, study into one sentence. I've been thinking about that, and here's my answer. Keeping God's commandments is not optional when you're a Christian. Anyhow, I'll leave you with that thought and I hope you join us next week and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.